0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. So, is Ontario open for business, as the Premier keeps saying, or is the government showing the private sector that it will just rip up any contract it doesn't like? Yesterday, the Ford government tabled legislation to terminate the Ontario government's contract with the beer store. Now, they didn't say anything about the possible penalties that will be involved. And the numbers we've heard bandied about are huge from the hundreds of millions to even a billion. After all, it is a sweetheart 10 year contract. So also, Uh, The legislation says it can cancel without penalty. But is that really the case? The beer store has said that it is going to sue. Also, On our agenda for today, the request for proposals to redevelop Ontario Place, a redevelopment that will not include a casino or condos, apparently. And what about the resurfacing of two names that were everywhere just a few months ago? I am talking about Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould. We will get to all of this with our strategists, but we begin with the union that represents the beer store workers and it is warning that the government's move could cost 7,000 good jobs. I'd like to welcome John Nock from the president of UFCW Canada Local 12R24. Hello, John. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Thanks very
2: much for having
1: me on. Okay, so what is your reaction to this?
2: We were shocked of the, of the move yesterday by the PC government to cancel the Master Framework Agreement governing beer retailing in the province. Um, it's basically an assault on good-paying jobs and agreements negotiated in good faith. Ford has promised no one would lose their jobs as a result of his policies. He's now cancelling contracts, creating chaos, and cooking, kicking good-paying jobs to the curb. We'll fight this to the best of our abilities.
1: Okay, and what is that? What are you planning? I mean, you did have a bit of a campaign in the lead-up to this, uh, and it didn't seem to have any impact on the government.
2: No, no. Ford has, Ford has made many promises. No one will lose their jobs, and, and we were relying on those promises. And now, now he's, he's made the change, and we're going to have to find out what's happening from here and do what we have to do to, to fight this legally.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So uh, what are your grounds? I mean, is it the contract with your workers or what what would your legal grounds be?
2: Yes, for us, it's the contract with our workers, severance pay, um, uh, pension obligations, benefits, those type of things. Our contract is with the employer, obviously, and the employer will fight the government as well.
1: Uh Uh-huh. But uh, the employer is on the hook. The government isn't on the hook.
2: No, but I think that is part of the master framework agreement that any costs associated with changing that agreement will be on the backs of the government. Are you and fa- the taxpayers of Ontario?
1: Are you familiar with the agreement? Do you have a view on what the penalties might be? I
2: that would be something to talk with the beer store about.
1: Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh huh. And. Because it's interesting, because as as far as I understand, the original contract actually protects the beer store from a change in legislation as a result of a change in government.
2: Correct. Correct. That's our understanding as well. And it goes until 2025.
1: Has there been any kind of blue skying about uh, how many jobs would be lost? I mean, presumably the beer store would still have some business, even if this contract is cancelled.
2: At this point, we, we have no idea. We, we know that there are 7,000 jobs on the line as far as how deep it goes. That will depend on the government's next move.
1: Okay. And uh, can you just tell us what you have planned in the coming days or weeks to try to keep this on the front burner and uh, to protect your employees?
2: Well, we're active on social media. We are going to start doing leaflets and campaigns in front of beer stores. We want the public and the taxpayers to be aware of the potential fallout of this, the safety of the communities. As you know, we're province-wide, and we have many, many, many employees in every community of this province.
1: Okay. John Nock, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now I would like to bring in our strategists. We have John Mikatishan, who's a conservative activist, political consultant, and president of Bradgate Research. And George Smitherman, a former liberal health minister and deputy premier, now vice president, senior vice president of corporate affairs for Biome Grow, and the author of a new book called Unconventional. Candor, so George, uh, please start and be candid with us. Uh, how would you characterize the last days from this government? First, they back off big, huge cuts and uh, then they do this contract with the beer store
3: well it's a uh, they're certainly uh, they 're certainly taking a hold of the opportunity to be disruptors. I think the evidence is uh is a bearing up that uh, in some cases they've moved forward absent of, uh, necessarily getting all the, all the, all the grounding, uh, that, uh, they might have uh, needed. And I thought that, um, the health minister, uh, Christine Elliott, having been in that role before, I thought that she paid quite a terrible price for the way that the government, uh, backed off on the public health piece because, uh, she, <laughs> she'd really been out there selling it. So, uh, it's uh, certainly a uh, tumultuous time. I think they made a big move on Ontario place today, too, which will uh, certainly uh, uh, stir some water. We
1: will certainly uh, get to that. Uh, let's bring in John Mcetitian You're a conservative, John. What's your take on uh, the actually dizzying developments of the last few days?
4: Um, yeah, I in a word, mystifying. And I think for anybody who's a professional, as an observer, or some associated feel of government relations, polling, research, uh, lobbying, um, uh, mystifying, because we don't know whether the government is brilliantly negotiating by pushing things out hard, having the world get all upset, and then pulling back and looking reasonable, or are they operating from chaos that they don't really know what they're doing, and uh, they end up where they end up uh, because they can only have so many people screaming at them before they listen. So it's it's uh like i say mystifying.
1: Uh-huh. Well that's very interesting coming from you John. What do you think is most mystifying the fact that they pulled back from the big retroactive cuts to the city or uh following hot on the heels with ripping up the beer store contract without making any mention of the possible penalties?
3: yeah
4: it's two very distinctly different things so um I, I think the the premier and the government may get what they wanted in the long run in that there's not anybody in Ontario who knows next budget for all the municipalities they uh, they don't have any money guaranteed but uh, Doug Ford was elected last June and all the municipalities all those politicians didn't get elected until October and their budgets came after. So it was presumptuous of all of them to think they had any money. So I think the government uh, missed an opportunity to say, we never promised you anything. You're relying on an old government who spent recklessly. So where are you getting that from? But having said that, the government had months in which to, if they were going to do that, give those new councils, even if they were returning people, all those councils before they started the budget process, fair warning. And they didn't do that. So, If you're going to go with fair, I think they did the fair thing in in holding off until next year, but get ready again. the The beer store, you know, this is where uh, you know uh, bad news story comes out. So a news story comes out to change the channel. That that would be the uh, analysis of people who think the government is uh, governing brilliantly, and maybe it is, or maybe they've just got so many files happening. Uh, at the same time that it's happenstance, right? Like, this is the most activist uh, government, I think, in uh, provincial history. And it's also the most um, uh, – it's not like any other. It it is absolutely unique in its um, uh, speed at which it's trying to do things. Uh, uh, You know, the the term disruptor was used a second ago. Um, Absolutely, they are willing to take on any institution, any organization. Nothing is sacred. So it's not at all surprising that when it comes to the uh, the beer contract, they looked at that and said, well, this is ridiculous, and we're not bound by it, and, and we're going to uh, change it.
1: Okay. Um, George Smitherman, you were in a former liberal government, not the one that signed the original contract. Why... Would a government sign a contract that says it would be, quote, binding and enforceable against the province despite its status as the crown, even where the alleged breach results from a change in legislation or public policy? Why why would a liberal government have signed that?
3: Well, I think they would have signed that at the uh, encouragement of uh, their negotiating partner on the other side, I have uh, just a little bit of legal experience and exposure to those points, and I'm not sure even if you have that in a contract that it can be binding. The the jurisprudence around the uh, supremacy of a parliament's ability to act in its area of jurisdiction is quite strong. I think even where private uh, enterprise is uh, caught up in all of that, and there have been a variety of issues associated with cancellation of contracts and renewable energy and stuff that have somewhat already looked at those issues. I think that the government, in this case, on the beer store, uh, thinks that it's in a powerful place, that it has a lot of lawyers, and that at the end of the day, uh, this is entirely aligned with something that they seem to want to project as a theme, which is uh, access, to, uh, access to booze is good. So I think it's aligned for them, and I, I'm actually reasonably supportive of the steps that they're taking. I've long since felt that the beer and wine in the corner stores would be, uh, would be appropriate. I have to take issue with what John said about the idea that municipalities casting their budgets after this government had been elected were irresponsible to assume any money. I mean, that's really ridiculous, especially as this government campaigned. As an example, on the tax, on the gas tax, when they campaigned in the election, they said we're going to maintain those commitments. So, I thought that was a bit of a stretch on uh, a stretch on John's part. And I'll say one more thing: you can open up a hundred files, but they take two to three years to take across the line. What these folks are doing right now is bringing everything onto the front burner. They're setting fire to every file at the same time without taking stock of how much energy, internal energy inside the government it takes to legislate and bring these things across the line. I think that they're in themselves in a heap of trouble with all of this so-called activism. And, it's, uh, and I think that the activism is, uh, is going to look day by day more and more like chaos.
1: Uh, okay. And just one thing uh, from your hat as a lawyer there. Do you think that they will really be able to get out of this contract without penalty?
3: Well, firstly, uh, you, 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 it's a nice compliment, I think, because uh, Libby, I'm, I'm just a high school educated uh, fellow, sometimes called a, a high school dropout. I wasn't a lawyer, but as Minister of Health, I hated 86 of them. So you do do a lot of work in government uh, processing uh, legal uh, legal context. I, I'm just saying that um, the way that a government will sometimes feel because it's big is that uh, we'll let the lawyers resolve that and we'll figure it out over time, and it's going to take a long time, and their case isn't as strong as they think. So I think that there have been... A variety of things that have given the government caution to take kind of like uh, put caution against the wind or have you and to take that risk, because even if those costs are borne out, I think it's going to be very likely that those costs are borne out on a much longer term time frame. So I don't think that the government. If I'm imagining the way they process this, say, like, well, we probably have some of those risks. They're probably not as great as they're projected. And even if they do come true, that's going to be after the next election. So my, that's my, I'm not an insider, I don't know, but that would be my instinct about the way that they've uh, processed that uh, that uh, beer store play.
1: John, why, why would you think they rushed into that like this? Uh, do you? I mean, what's your thought on that?
4: Well, so it's it's an interesting thing, right? One person's rush is another person's too slow. So if we take we look at how quickly they're taking tackling the uh, the deficit and the debt, uh, for many of us, are going way too slow, Um, and it's problematic, right? I mean, rush? Are they rushing? Um, When uh, if, if we look at the last conservative premier. His uh, one regret, uh, which he shared with you know Harris, who shared with Ford, was that he didn't do more sooner. When Mike Harris came in, everybody in the world said, slow down, don't do this, don't do that. And the reality was it wasn't reasonable people. It was primarily unions who were self-interested, who, which, and there's nothing wrong with self-interest. But they didn't w- agree with the government's agenda. And if you look at what's going on now, the principal actors in every complaint about the government are people whose or organizations whose lives are going to be affected, and they don't agree. So, I think, rather than saying no, it's so much more reasonable to say, why don't you slow down and consult, which is really code for don't give it up and don't do it.
3: I do think if I could offer one uh, contrast between these two conservative governments, is that Mr. Harris, and I would say to his credit, had. A team assembled around him for many years in advance. They carefully profiled the policies, they packaged them up, and they arrived as a government with a coherent, if divisive, plan to move forward. These folks have none of those elements, and they're making it up as they go. And I think that rather, uh, rather than uh, getting points for activism, we'll soon see the consequences of uh having uh, all fields in motion at the very same time. You can't do it in war, you have limited resources, and in government the most limited resource is decision making and legislative capability. So, I think we're soon soon going to see that this government uh opened up uh fronts uh on uh, very many fields. They think that they have a superior the superiority to do that because it clouds out any negative messaging around just one thing but I do think operationally they're going to be in for a handful when you get down to the ugly nitty gritty of legislating and regulating all of these changes. It's going to be a handful. The backbenchers and that government are going to get very tired.
1: Okay. Well, yes. um, But.
4: Libby. Yeah. If if I could just add, I don't disagree at all. I I completely agree with what George just said. Um, And I was going to say, we can actually see signs of it. While the government's got a huge uh, support on the benches, you know, they were elected with 76, but, the reality is, this government behind the scenes, the people who have to uh, uh, work as hard or harder than their bosses, the political staffers, um, they've already gone through in less than a year. You got to remember, they were elected in June, so they weren't sworn in until uh, July and uh, uh, or, or shortly thereafter. The, the reality is, most of these people haven't been on the job for a year, and there's already a record turnover among the political staff, and. You, people over the course of a government uh, tend not to be as good as the people that they're replacing with rare exception.
3: Yeah, true, I believe. So I think especially if if, uh, Mr. Shear continues to do well in Ottawa, that's a bit of an internal thing, but it takes a lot of energy to move all of these things forward. Even the communications packages associated with these big announcements are efforts that uh, involve many, many people working late nights and such. So I think that uh, fatigue factor is something that we're going to have to watch for going forward
1: uh yeah and uh you know speaking on the consultation piece and people i am going to get to your calls in a moment uh one of the things that the other thing we haven't touched on yet they have called for proposals for redeveloping ontario place they seem to have listened to the extent that they're saying no casinos and no condos which were not off the table just a week or so ago but uh John Tory has come out and said they haven't consulted us. We should be partners. And even though they backed off on the retroactive cuts, these relationships still seem very frayed. What about that, George?
3: You know, I have a bit of a, I have a, bit of a personal view that Ontario Place and Exhibition Place need to be thought of, brought together as one and thought of as one. It, to me, it's long since past ridiculous that on opposite sides of Lakeshore Boulevard, we've got a provincial entity and a municipal one who sometimes fight over things like parking revenue. So personally, I'm, 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 I'm one of those that thinks those two places need to come together. And when you have that big landscape, you really could come up with the most exciting vision possible. The mayor himself in a, in a past role authored a report for Kathleen Wynn's government that recommended condos at Ontario Place. Which I take exception, uh, exceptional disagreement with. So, I, I, I think that uh, it's uh, it's uh, if it is true, and I didn't look at all the words that they're going to move forward in Ontario Place with a redevelopment, taking both a casino and uh, condominiums off the table. Then I think that's uh, then I think that's actually a uh, that's a, a step forward. One thing you need to know about Ontario Place is there's no infrastructure there. There's not a lot of water pipe capacity, etc. So to imagine. Big new activity there is to imagine very expensive underlying infrastructure investments. And in addition to the, in addition to that, Ontario Line uh, subway, which they've proposed Ontario Place as a terminus for.
1: Okay, and John on Ontario Place, good, bad, indifferent. Um, I, I think
4: it's good from the perspective of unless the government was fully committed to a casino um, taking it on, which apparently they're not. Uh, but that was everybody's suspicion, right? So taking it off is great because we're going to avoid the uh, next, uh, whatever it is, four, 10 four, ten-year-long war over having a casino there. Um, it, 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 look, growing up, uh, it was one of the greatest destinations in Ontario. It's uh, now a sad relic of a bygone era. Uh, I think everybody's on the same page of wanting something great for it. And, and but, but it requires courage, and I and and I know the report that uh, George just mentioned with Tory, and and sadly, part of the problem with partnerships and getting multiple levels of government uh, or politicians to work on something, you end up with compromises. And that report had under Tory had things like condos. Uh, there's no shortage of condos along the lakeshore. There's precious little space for development. And uh, by taking condos and the casino off, I think uh, that's another uh, visionary step forward. Uh, Hopefully there is courageous in pursuing whatever uh, great new design that that none of us have thought of that everybody's gonna love down the road. But between here and there is a long time and a lot of decisions.
1: Okay, let's take a couple of calls very quickly, please. William in Toronto, hi William.
2: Hi, Um, a rare occasion where I agree with your guests, and they say there's too much disruption and havoc being caused. And I've stated this before. Too many uh, projects going on at one time, and they're not being properly implemented and administered. And beer is not important. They uh, can wait 10 years, and they can be put in the beer store at that time. You don't have to do it now. So uh, a little less havoc and the destruction here. Not so many projects all at the same time. You can't handle them, obviously. And that's all I've got to say. Thank you very much.
1: Okay. Yes. And very quickly from Barbara in Little Britain. Hi, Barbara. Barbara? Hello. Hello. You're on the air very quickly. Yes. Oh,
4: okay. I just wanted to say that I think beer stores in the little variety stores, like back when the cigarettes with the children, we're going to have so much trouble with our children. And our beer is a lot stronger than the beer in the United States. It's it's a big mistake. And just like the casinos and condos with the form, they should have the forum back on Ontario Place and have the groups and have people come and see. That was wonderful back then. It was really for families. And now it's for people with money to waste. That's all it is.
1: Okay, Barbara, thank you for that. Okay, thank you. Okay, and uh, thank you so much to our panel, George Smitherman and John Mikatishan. You know, we've barely touched on this kind of breakneck speed of changes, and I'm sure we'll be talking about them again very soon. Thanks so much.
3: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.